0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey Shannon, how are you?
0: Doing pretty well. Getting ready to graduate my first student, so that's pretty exciting. Oh, fun. Mm -hmm. Except for it means that I've read the same thesis 12 times in the last week, but that's okay. Okay.
1: Are you repeating it in your sleep yet?
0: Oh, not as much as he is, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I still don't think I was as busy as you were last week.
1: Oh, yeah. So (laughs) in case you didn't notice or behind, there was no show last week. And uh, that turns out to be because SciPy, the conference, the Scientific Python conference that I was at, it's continually getting bigger and bigger and more and more events going. And this year it was so big with so many events uh i came back and slept for 12 hours when i got here i i did not have even a a extra hour or two to throw in there to make the podcast happen that week so i even sorry about that
0: i even (laughs) sent you funny text messages and got nothing back so yeah i assumed that you were um you were way busy (laughs) but i mean that's good for sci-fi right
1: oh it is i mean the conference has really grown there are different happy hours, company receptions, sort of hallway track talks going on from you know, the start of the conference in the morning, which is around eight or so, until late, late in the evening. I don't think there's a single day I was back to the hotel room before eleven PM.
0: Wow. Um I guess we should we should step back a minute and have you explain sort of what SciPy is for people who maybe haven't tuned in the last three years when we talk about this conference.
1: Right. And so I thought this would be a good time to sort of recap SciPy because we've traditionally done that in the past. And mm-hmm. this is the conference for Scientific Python. Okay. It is if you use Python to do science, not necessarily focused on the more computer science aspects like a lot of programming language conferences are.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: so there's a lot of real practicing scientists that gather every year to nerd out about python how they're using it and show off new stuff
0: so i I guess my question is are there other is there like a sci r conference or anything like that
1: (laughs) you know there's a lot of different things with r and julia like there's juliacon Um, (laughs) okay (laughs) i think that python is the only one at least only one i know of that has a purely scientific conference A lot of the others are more focused on data science, okay. which not to say it's not scientific, but it's more of the, the big data aspect, not here where it is routine to bump into other geophysicists, geologists, meteorologists, oceanographers, and so on. So
0: Python just lends itself towards what we do?
1: I think so. And the scientific community was one of the early adopters of Python.
0: Okay. All right. Gotcha. So...
1: This year, uh, my first SciPy was back in, I think we decided, 2010 or so.
0: Okay. You can't and even I don't, remember.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I don't know the exact number of people there, but I remember the conference was much smaller. I'm going to say around 250, roughly. Okay,
0: All right. Which, um, I mean, that's not unusual for these types of conferences.
1: Right. and I mean, the first ones were like 50, but yeah. the... Uh, This year, it was over 700 people.
0: Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Same venue or?
1: Uh, Not the same venue as 50, but the same venue as 2010. Yeah.
0: Wow. Was it noticeably crowded?
1: (laughs) It was very crowded. Um, Not overcrowded, but much more crowded than obviously it has been. I remember in some of the early ones, we would only use like portions of certain rooms or some of the smaller rooms and now we're using the big rooms and at the end of the day we use the entire grand ballroom
0: oh nice <laughs> that's awesome um is it you were gone for seven days right
1: i was so i left sunday and returned sunday <laughs> uh, and then because,
0: slept all day after that and then, and then
1: slept all day yeah because <laughs> this conference is broken up into three parts so there are tutorials which are two days And there's the conference, which is three days. And then there are code sprints, which are another two days. And I stayed for all of it.
0: (laughs) So besides your uh, intro notes here that talk about that, um, I don't know any of these other words. So I'll have lots of questions about what a code sprint is. But we'll get there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, uh, like I said before, I was really surprised with, you know, we had a, a circle of meteorologists and oceanography people. We at uh, dinner one night. We had a relatively large circle of geophysicists wow. that went to dinner. Like there are, it used to be like, oh, you're you're the other geophysicist here.
0: <laughs> and yeah.
1: now there's a bunch.
0: That's impressive. Are there any geologists? I mean, I can't imagine there would be, but
1: oh no, there are. There are people that would classify themselves as geologists, not geophysicists, for wow, sure.
0: Wow, nice. Okay, interesting. Uh,
1: and I had the wonderful opportunity to see lots of listeners.
0: That's awesome, <laughs> yeah, so uh,
1: we several of us had the chance to go out and get dinner or get some drinks. Uh, I hope that I caught everybody that was there, but it, if I didn't, you should yell on Twitter and <laughs> make sure I know that you're there but uh had a great chance to talk to some folks, find out what what they were liking about the podcast, prod people for some fun papers, hand out some cards to try to get more listeners and um i'm out of stickers
0: that's awesome i i was gonna say that's sad but no that's super great um i still have a few more so if anyone wants any just keep writing in and i'll send out the rest of mine um so we're not in dire straits yet but and that's awesome. more are on the way <laughs> excellent <laughs>
1: which i think it's fantastic that we've been able to go through that entire stack so yes I, if you yeah. want stickers
0: i mean i have 12 of them on my car but you know whatever
1: the most interesting application i know of so far is listener joe has them on a i think it was a dungeons and dragons box
0: oh man that's awesome (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what i would expect from our listeners i will say that
1: (laughs) (laughs) um the other interesting thing about this conference before we dive in is that all of the talks are recorded and they're on youtube often the same day that they were given
0: oh wow okay well, from a scientific programming conference i guess i would expect this
1: (laughs) well and why aren't more conferences like this
0: yeah that is true i mean there's always somebody recording in there that from you know the conference organization generally for promotional use
1: well and it seems like those things never see the light of day
0: yeah yeah just Uh, put them out there for somebody
1: i mean you can go you could attend this conference completely for free by watching it on youtube if you so chose oh nice uh you could go to the tutorials there are multiple times where there were talks or tutorials that were put up back to back because there are multiple tracks going on sort of like at agu except here there are only three
0: that's super great and so
1: i just can star those in my program and then now the ones that several of us at work were interested in uh we can sit in a conference room and watch one afternoon
0: that would be great, because that's the most frustrating thing, is trying to get to all the talks that you want to go to that are all scheduled at 8.15 on one day.
1: <laughs> yes, and this is a an interesting conference, because there's not anybody saying, I hope I don't get scooped.
0: Ah, uh, I don't think I'd know what that felt like at a conference. That's absolutely true. hmm
1: Yeah. So people are very much about sharing, making it open. Is this right? Is this reproducible? Is this useful to anyone else?
0: That is super cool. Are there other, because I know it wasn't just you from Unidata that went. I mean, are there other organizations that are sort of bringing their whole teams to this conference?
1: I would say so. There are some business groups, uh, so Continuum or... In or other places that have large parts of their team there. There are also national labs that are sending large parts of their teams.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, so you see lots of folks from NASA, PNNL, some Oak Ridge. You see a lot of teams like that there.
0: That's cool. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So it was just a super awesome nerd fest. Well, tell us what happened then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so tutorials. Tutorials are two days. Generally, there's a morning and an afternoon session. So day one, I did a tutorial on something called Numba in the morning.
0: That's not just how you say number in the Northeast, right? No. <laughs> no. It
1: is uh, it's what's called a JIT, which yep. is a just-in-time compiler.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right.
1: And so the neat thing about this is Python is an interpreted language. We've talked about this before, uh, which means you don't have to go through the step of for example, with a C code, where you would write it, you would compile it, and then you would run the executable. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Here you write a script, and you run an interpreter on that script. The catch is that means it's slower.
0: Okay, Uh, just because you're always doing that?
1: Right, so you're opening up, you're reading through it, instruction by instruction, interpreting that instruction, then executing it, whereas it's not compiled down to very efficient code for your machine. Gotcha. Numba, you can actually, what they call decorate functions,
0: Okay. with this
1: decorator that says i want you to compile this and cache the compiled version um, if i change it recompile it otherwise when a call to this function is made run that compiled version
0: okay all right so basically you're cutting down the time it takes to run any of these
1: by like factors of a
0: Oh, <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it depends on the problem. It depends on what all you're doing. There are some functions that can't be optimized because of the way they're written. Because uh, remember, this is all automatic. It's you know a couple line change.
0: Right, yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that was really neat. And it also allows you to say, I am going to call this function 10,000 times because I want to do this calculation on 10,000 separate pieces of data. It doesn't matter what order these happen in. So just crank up all the cores on my machine and distribute these ten thousand jobs in parallel.
0: Oh, nice. Okay.
1: Uh, so depending on the problem, there were speed ups of, you know, anywhere from a few times to like I said, about a hundred times. It That's was awesome. Amazing. And I want to use it for some of my <laughs> work now.
0: <laughs> I'm assuming there were other people who were super excited about this as well.
1: Right. And so the, the course was taught by Lorena Barba and Gil Forsythe, who do a lot of C F D. computational fluid dynamics Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's something that you obviously want to be fast because they're traditionally slow models
0: yeah because there are so many inputs and so many things happening
1: well lots of little tiny time steps in the iteration and Mm -hmm. all this but if you can do it in python you can develop the code faster than if you were doing it in c but it won't run very fast so if you can do it in python use Numba to speed it up to an acceptable speed Uh, that seems to be the working solution that their research group has found and they did a great job teaching this tutorial
0: that's awesome are is there only one do you have to pick between your tutorials is there or are there only a couple that go on
1: so there are three going on concurrently okay. each session okay yeah so i picked that one and then in the afternoon i did a tutorial on notebook widgets um,
0: those are the little guys that come and steal your notebook and do your to-do list while you're sleeping right
1: exactly <laughs> okay great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so these are things like in a in a python notebook which we've talked about before mm-hmm. you can have things like sliders text boxes buttons all the stuff you would normally see on the web uh date selectors that kind of thing
0: okay And so
1: it was about integrating those into the notebook and how to make your own little gooey looking application in a python notebook
0: doesn't that do away with the whole point that you guys don't have to have graphical user interfaces to to do things
1: well no but sometimes you want to create a graphical user interface right
0: for somebody else to do things right okay or
1: or to make it easy to explore your data like if you are examining if you're taking a slice through some volume of data you don't want to sit there and, like, change I equals 36 to I equals 38 and then press enter again <laughs> to go to the a couple slices down. It's a lot easier if you have a slider and you can just drag it through the
0: data. Mm, so true. So true. Okay. So
1: that was cool. I'm, I'm very curious to see. So they, they've invented a lot of machinery that lets you lay these out so that they look sort of like an app. Uh, and I have been getting into the web app side of things. So I'm very curious to see how either they make that make it where that's deployable to the web or the web people like there's some there's two concurrent efforts here and I feel like that they're going to converge at some point.
0: Um I guess I've never obviously I've never seen one of these in action. So um I mean this is we've talked about Jupyter notebooks and stuff before, right? So this is something like teams could use when you guys are developing this stuff.
1: Yeah, and well for example, I've been corresponding with one of our listeners about gravitational tide things Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. as an example to myself of how to do this i stood up a web app it's a web page you can go to and you can put in your latin line elevation and when you want the gravitational tide for and click a button and it produces a live interactive graph in the web page
0: okay awesome that
1: you could also do the same thing in a jupyter notebook but then i have to send the notebook and say okay install all this python stuff and then start a notebook and then you can use this graphical user interface and there are some people that are trying to make it easier to put notebooks on the web
0: Mm -hmm.
1: there's not a solution there that is seamless yet like i can use them other python programmers can use them if i sent that link to you and said here's how to calculate gravitational tide i feel like there would be enough activation energy that you would push back on that. Whereas if I send you a link and say here's a web page, you go and enter stuff in these boxes just like you're used to and click a button. Done.
0: So I just had this synapses thing happen because actually um one of sort of my contemporaries in the paleomagnetic world has made a web app to do rock magnetic analysis that was previously done. You'll love this. It was previously done in a macro in Excel. (laughs) oh and he just rewrote it as a web app and i think i just got that that's what he had done that's um that's really cool and it's super useful too just like you said for someone who doesn't really understand this stuff i know it was a lot easier to explain to people in our research group well it lets you focus on
1: the it lets you focus on the concept yeah not the tool
0: yes yeah exactly because just working that dumb excel macro was just as hard, you know, as actually analyzing the data.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious to see where all that goes. There's several things going on in that space. But I know personally, I want to be able to do this stuff on my iPad. Yeah. I don't want to have to have a desktop app.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: I want to be able to pull this website up on my iPad, create the plot, email the plot to myself, or attach it to an email or put it in a slideshow all mobily. Because if I'm in the field, that's what I have, or maybe my cell phone.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, because well, you remember the days of carrying around the huge, huge laptops, and that really stinks.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you've so. already
0: you've already got enough batteries to carry around. But I digress.
1: <laughs> well, and then the so the second day of tutorials was on a package called SciKit Learn, and that actually went all day.
0: Okay, I <clears> thought you, <throat> I thought you had just accidentally capitalized the word learn, but this makes sense.
1: Right, and (laughs) um, basically what I learned from that is that machine learning is eating the world.
0: This is terrifying to me, (laughs) right?
1: And, (laughs) well, and the more that we looked at it, I was slightly surprised by, and I suppose I shouldn't have been, because the only machine learning I have any experience with is the old-style backpropagator artificial neural networks, the perceptron.
0: Right, okay.
1: Um, Really, a lot of the modern machine learning techniques are just gobs of statistics thrown at the problem
0: okay so it just does a lot of calculations and then figures out where it's where it's going from there
1: it's all about likelihoods yeah
0: do you think this is because computing power has you know increased so much that that's possible now
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) When else can you work in, you know, 200-something dimensional space and calculate all kinds of correlations and deviations?
0: And And not need a cray to do it. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. And
1: so this was really cool. We did some things like facial recognition, uh, pattern understanding. Like, could we predict who would die and survive on the Titanic based on a subset of the Titanic roster?
0: Oh, that's Uh, an exciting... uh
1: which you could do with like 60 something percent accuracy not too bad
0: oh, okay yeah. um
1: spoiler alert if you were a male or not first class you died
0: yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. and
1: it was really it was a neat tutorial there's a lot of practical stuff the afternoon got over my head in terms of the amount of machine learning knowledge required beforehand
0: mm, mm, okay gotcha uh,
1: but as an as a library developer, this was like jaw-dropping in that their library is so well-designed. Mm. You can okay. say, I'm applying this algorithm. Okay, I want to apply a different algorithm. You literally just change the function call most of the time and everything else stays the same. They've gone to great care to make sure that their API, their how you interact with it, mm-hmm. is so consistent that... Totally changing something to try a different technique is like a one-liner most of the time.
0: Wow. How did they come to this level of usability, do you think?
1: Uh, I think lots of iteration. Okay. <laughs> lots of iteration and user feedback, but I'm definitely trying to learn from what they did.
0: Uh, yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh,
1: and there's so much code in there that happens and things happen out of sight that with you know 10 or 15 lines of python you've trained up some algorithm done testing and validation and are now running it on real data it's just amazing
0: that is pretty impressive
1: um so overall in the tutorials i learned a lot and i got a lot of ideas on how to improve our workshops and material that we teach for work at unidata
0: which is the whole point
1: Yes. So seeing how other people teach, picking up a trick here, a trick there. Oh, that that was easier for me to understand than the way we do that right now. Uh, So there's some time that needs to go back into our material after this.
0: Man, I could really see how these further development of web apps could really help open up science to people who are, you know, more than the casual person interested, but not to necessarily, you know, like full-time research scientists. Like, it seems like there's a gap there. And this kind of technology might fill it, you know?
1: Exactly. Like, you know, one of the classic intro to geophysics problems is calculate the expected magnetic anomaly over a buried magnetic sphere, like an ore body. Right. That's something that you can do it in Excel. It's not pretty. (laughs) The best way to do it is to write a little program to solve it. But Mm -hmm. a lot of people that would be the hardest part of the whole thing
0: yes yeah exactly i go into um meteor crater that was the most fun was they had this little little computers this ancient huge computer <laughs> that sort of did this you're right you could say how big is your meteor how fast is it going What's your angle and then it would calculate you know how big your crater is or something like that and that was always that exhibit was always packed because people love doing that so that's these web apps are actually quite interesting um output of all well, of this
1: and now imagine if that if that exhibit was a big qr code on the wall yeah. and so now you're not you're not waiting in line to try this everybody just holds their phone up snaps the qr code goes to the web page and everybody can do it
0: mm-hmm. for
1: and as long it, as they want and even it, when they go home
0: yeah exactly that's exactly it that's really cool so instead of being like i saw this thing and try to inaccurately describe it you can just show it to somebody
1: <laughs> right and so yeah. that's something that i want to try to replicate and i'm going to be playing with some uh is how do I take some of these basic problems, basic gravity models, basic magnetic models, and put them in the web. Make them accessible on an iPad where you can email yourself plots and results. That's really And neat. when that gets to some state of readiness, I will put it up publicly and give it away. Look at you. So that is kind of my side, side project. Uh, <laughs> if you will so no no timeline guarantees on this but it's something i'm playing with because i want to see where the space goes
0: yeah this is a, this is a great k-12 toolkit too i'm sure we could have a whole show about that but on to the conference
1: yeah so you know i said there were a lot more geoscientists there this year mm-hmm. <laughs> um one of the keynotes was by sean gulick who is a professor at utig about uh-huh. the Chicxulub impact drilling operation
0: I'm super excited to hear about this.
1: At a programming conference.
0: Uh, This This is huge. Yes. Uh,
1: (laughs) So this was, it was a great talk. Of course, you can go watch it online. I will put a link in the show notes. I'm not going to tell you too much about it because I don't want to spoil it. Uh, In terms of there are some fundamental things about crater mechanics that we didn't know that are now known. Uh, By drilling this Chicxulub impact site.
0: Okay. I, I mean, TickSloop's been drilled before. Is this new drilling, or is he talking about the old drilling?
1: This is new drilling, new coring. Okay. okay. And All right. there was a lot of interesting data mining Python application to core and other things that wow yielded some new insights. And to me, it was amazing to think that at the early SciPy's, there were scientists talking, but it always seemed like it was you know physics big data or some more fundamentally like this is how we're going to speed up these kind of computations talks uh, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: where is this year katie huff who we've interviewed before gave the first keynote Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: so she's a nuclear engineer and then a geophysicist gave the second keynote
0: (gasps) that's awesome
1: (laughs) and then uh the third keynote was given by gail veracroix and he's a data science brain imaging institute person man and so these were all three physical scientists (laughs) that gave these talks it was amazing
0: that is super cool um was there a keynote every night or what
1: every morning first thing okay yeah um so there was that there was a lot of talk about paralyzing computation uh our group ryan may gave a talk that we had collaborated on about how using units in calculation is great in theory and right now horrible in practice
0: (laughs) because people don't do it or because it's hard to deal with them
1: well so we have tools where you can say okay my temperature is 25 celsius and here's a length that is two kilometers and you can have all these units attached and when you do a calculation like so for example if you have five meters in one second and you divide those quantities the output from that division is five meters per second like it keeps track of all the units and it doesn't let you do anything silly
0: okay
1: uh so if you were to multiply that by 10 centimeters then it would do the appropriate conversions centimeters to meters then do the math
0: oh okay gotcha
1: um it's all great when it works Mm -hmm. but right now there are some fundamental problems where it breaks horrifically
0: (laughs) gotcha uh
1: So there's a lot of talk about that, a lot of machine learning things and reproducible science things.
0: That's always uh, uh, refreshing to hear.
1: Yeah, and so I'm to keep this short. Don't want to go in depth into anything. Uh, like so, you can see all the talks online, but there's also a really cool project that has uh, been around for a little bit now. NB Grader. Okay. If you have students do homework problems. In a Python notebook. So this is a class where you've taught them how to use Python notebooks and they're doing computational problems in the notebook. Okay. The notebooks can be automatically graded.
0: Uh-huh. This must have been your uh your tweets about uh classroom management systems, right? Uh
1: not exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> but Never mind. but yeah, so that was at one point somebody asked, How many people have used a CMS? Many hands went up in the room. They said, "How many people love their current CMS?" And every single <laughs> hand went down. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> so true. <laughs> but this is yeah. really, this is really, this is really helpful. I mean, anything that can automate grading is super helpful. <laughs> yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> there was a talk by Leo Oida, who's mm-hmm. one of the people that hangs out in Software Underground, about he's been working with Paul Wessel in Hawaii. It's a horrible place to have a postdoc. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, (laughs) Really crappy views. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On bringing Python GMT to existence. Oh. So this is writing a way to access GMT in a Pythonic way. Okay. And it's in the very early stages. They've been working on it for a little while now. And after the conference, I think he said he was going to do some major refactoring of it to get it to be a little bit more of a matplotlib pythonic api but there's a lot of promise here not anymore do you have to write these long command line strings that (laughs) once you know how to write them you know how to write them but (laughs) if you don't know gmt they look pretty cryptic
0: Uh, Uh, yes (laughs) now
1: it's a lot more intuitive of an interface so i'm hoping that that will really boost the gmt usage and ease of use slash reproducibility that's cool yeah so that one was nice and then there are lightning talks which are the highlight of every day
0: <laughs> okay and so <laughs> when i first read this i thought talks about lightning but that's not what you meant
1: <laughs> there have been lightning talks about lightning in the past yes of course there have. because um, <laughs> <but>
0: scientists <laughs> you
1: sign up on a sheet at the beginning of the conference that for an hour at the end of every day they will give you five minutes to talk about anything you want but only five minutes after that they will literally come up and unplug your computer and take you off stage that's awesome um, so it's very limited it can be shorter than that if you want they get through as many as they can in fact this year they even tried two podiums rapidly switching back and forth oh and uh i signed up for one but i they didn't actually get to me so that's okay save it for next year uh, encouraging people to use hardware and integrate their programming skills with hardware skills uh but there was lightning talks there are some serious ones there are some off-topic ones there are some that are here's a neat package that i've been playing with Uh, there was also one about burritos
0: (laughs) i think this is my favorite graphic because you sent a picture of it and i think that is fantastic (laughs) yeah so um
1: in this talk what makes the perfect burrito well, so they collected data. Every time they would go have a burrito, they would measure the circumference of the burrito, length of the burrito, oh the gosh. estimate the ratio of meat to non-meat, uh, estimate the meat quality, estimate the non-meat quality, all these things, and then rate their ultimate enjoyment and created this giant spreadsheet, which you too can contribute to. There are links. And then ran some machine learning on it and came up with the top factors that make good burritos and where they get the best value per money. Is there a correlation between value and money? All kinds of great stuff.
0: Oh my gosh. This is amazing. And And that is
1: a typical lightning talk, I would say.
0: Okay. (laughs) I really need to come to this conference. I think.
1: I I think you should. It's drivable from OU.
0: Yep. That is true. And it sounds like there would be some useful things, even if there are things I couldn't necessarily do now things to think about implementing in the future.
1: Well, and the first time I went to this conference, I heard you know, sort of, wah, 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 WebGL, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and there, there are beginner tracks where it's, this is, this is very, but you do not know how to make a graph in Python. We're going to spend all morning getting you comfortable with making a graph in Python.
0: For real? So that's yes. still going on there. So I could oh, walk oh, yeah. in and be ridiculously not ready and learn something
1: oh yes absolutely okay and every year you get to where you know more people you know more about the language more about what's happening and things become clearer and clearer and clearer Uh, Hmm. i still think it's one of my favorite conferences if not my
0: favorite i'm pretty sure it is your favorite (laughs) it is the only one we
1: do a full episode on every year
0: yeah you're always (laughs) very very excited about this conference
1: uh Anyway, so to wrap up before we get too long here, the sprints. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so it's programming, so I know you're not talking about real sprints.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, and the joke was that sometimes they feel more like slow jogs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Nice. But the sprints are you get together with other people that want to work on the same thing, and it's two days of hardcore let's get as much done on this as we can
0: is this like a hackathon then
1: yeah pretty much okay so matplotlib people will get together and say we want to get all these bugs fixed and get ready for the next release uh, numpy people will get together in this case said we want to try to get ready for a release in um, metpy we said we want to get more users onboarded so come to us with your problems uh, let us help you with things we can contribute so we had Graduate students contributing examples and then helping them integrate MetPy into what they were doing. Uh, lots of bug fixes happening. It was it was great. We had some students and professionals and professors work with us on MetPy.
0: Uh, that's super awesome. Because then and, you've got, you know, your user group and all that right there, huh?
1: Oh, absolutely. And then uh, there's also a sprint dinner, which had this year pizza and bowling. Okay. And, and so getting, getting a bunch of nerds not, bowling was fun.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm assuming you're not coding while you're doing all this, too.
1: No, though so there were lots and lots of <laughs> off by one jokes, oh, missing data.
0: Oh, no. Um, <laughs> Beautiful.
1: There were lots of really cringe word And even during the lightning talks, uh, the MCs for lightning talks have a habit every year of trying to make just. Cringe-worthy jokes between every talk.
0: <laughs> you guys all love it. <laughs> oh, we do. Uh, oh, that's awesome.
1: Yes, everybody loves good computer science and science jokes.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly.
1: Anyway, so I think that this is this conference, scientific computing, is becoming a real thing doing it right and doing it in a reproducible way is becoming important it's becoming acknowledged and one day it's going to be acknowledged as a valid research output and we're getting there
0: yeah yeah i think so too i keep trying to resist it but um i think i'm just gonna have to get into it
1: and (sighs) you know there's some really good tools out there you can help develop them you can help use them i know there's a large component of imposter syndrome in anything especially in computing Mm
0: -hmm. yes
1: it's okay we want your bad code (laughs) we will help you make it good code
0: oh that's awesome i that's that's what's so cool about this conference that you say there's not like that um sort of not wanting to get scooped or not wanting to share information which sometimes happens in conferences and stuff and so that's really cool to hear because that's something you know that's the conference experience you want your students to have you want you know your fellow um colleagues to have so you can get away from that mindset which i think pervaded science for a long time
1: well and elizabeth severe who we interviewed a couple sci pies ago on here Mm -hmm. tweeted uh (laughs) that this was a conference where it's not i hope i get don't get scooped but it was a conference where people said oh thank goodness somebody's already done that
0: oh awesome (laughs) that's awesome
1: because you could say, I'm dealing with this problem in addition to my other big problems. So it was, oh, well, I have this piece of code or this thing in my library that does that. And you go, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, That's
0: great. That would be really strange to feel, I will say that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, conferences like this, I think, should start getting on everybody's list. Because to me, there is at least as important, if not more so, than the scientific conferences at this point.
0: Yeah. No kidding. How great. I always look forward to hearing your rundown. Um of this from you know your week at sci and it sounds like it's just getting busier and busier
1: it is and uh as promised next week we will return with the conclusion of our plate boundary series <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know everyone's waiting you know all two people are waiting anxiously to hear about um <laughs> transform plate boundaries but it's going to be hard to talk about i think we we kind of blew it with the other ones first but that's okay they're still interesting.
1: Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I think that means it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday.
0: Man, it feels so weird with you doing that cowbell all the time. <laughs> we'll have and, to get dueling cowbells.
1: Ooh, I like it. More cowbell.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: And so this paper comes to us from listener Daryl. And it is called The Right Way to Kiss, Directionality Bias in Head Turning During Kissing by Kareem et al.
0: And this paper's in uh, Nature. Yes. (laughs) I just wanted wanted to throw that out there. (laughs) So if you need any more
1: salt in the wound about your paper not getting accepted to Nature.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This was really weird. I thought, uh, mostly because I feel like there was a lot of info and not a lot of results. But this is also interesting because this is actually conversations I've had with people who happen to be scientists but was not in the realm of scientific inquiry. (laughs) Which is basically, which way do you turn your head when you're kissing and what drives those factors?
1: Only scientists would have this discussion.
0: I know. I I got so excited when I saw this, and I immediately sent it to my friend who we've had this conversation before. Um, So, yeah, this is um, the drivers behind which way you turn your head are also really interesting. But that's kind of the main thought, is that humans have this bias for turning to the right in a number of settings, which I didn't really realize. And so they kind of apply that to kissing, hence the title, The Right Way to Kiss, and they've looked at a whole bunch of people and say that there's a definite bias towards turning your head to the right when you're going in for one.
1: Right. And you know I thought it was interesting. They even talked about with babies yeah. tending to lie facing the right after the first six months of birth. So have you noticed this?
0: So my baby definitely has a left bias, um, but my husband is left-handed. So... I've been paying attention to it after reading this, and I think that's really interesting.
1: Well, you know, that that uh, right-handed bias was with two right-handed parents, so
0: mm-hmm. this yeah. will be an
1: interesting study for you.
0: It will be, and I'm definitely going to be thinking about this as we move on, because as I was reading it, I looked down, and she had her head turned to the left, and she has her head turned to the left at night, and she's about to she's two months old now, and so she's kind of playing with the idea of rolling over, and she's always rolled to the left, so... Hmm. Well,
1: it'll be interesting when you can tell handedness. Yes. yeah. footedness.
0: Ex- exactly. I think she's already left-footed because that's the foot she swings around to try to roll onto her tummy. So this is a, this was a very interesting paper in terms of that as well.
1: Right. And so I looked up some statistics. We have some left-handers in our family. And okay. it turns out about 10% of the population is left-handed. Okay. Roughly, plus or okay. minus. Uh, which we'll come back to that number as we get later in this paper. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, <laughs> yes, we will. In, in this paper, they look at 48 Bangladeshi heterosexual married couples as their sample. And they had an interesting, what I'm assuming is normal in social science, acronym, which is weird. <laughs> the acronym is W E I R D, which stands for Western Educated, Industrialized, Rich, and Democratic.
0: Uh, yeah, uh, I didn't think that this was coined in this paper, but I thought it was pretty hilarious as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so they're saying this study is in a non weird culture, a set of non weird <laughs> participants. And <gasps> this has been studied in weird cultures before, but the non weird families have been underrepresented. And that there may be some differences, because, for example, in a conservative Muslim society, like the Bangladesh societies, they're namely patriarchal, male-dominated, with different societal norms.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of those societal influences that they talked about uh, with respect to these weird countries is that we read from left to right, which might make this thing, this right bias, because of the direction we read. And so they talked about how in other countries, these non-weird countries where reading is from right to left, maybe there's a left bias, and maybe that goes all the way down into a left bias towards which way you turn your head when you kiss.
1: Right, and also that it makes a difference in that who initiates the kiss, male or female, and it seemed like a lot of times the other person, whoever was receiving the kiss, would just turn in the accommodating direction
0: right which i thought sounded fairly obvious because you don't want to you know bang your heads together um so i thought it was interesting because this particular paper talks about a previous paper that only talked about the head turning of the initiator and not the the kiss receiver and therefore you know they were discounting 50 percent of the data but i thought that was an interesting sort of data discussion they had.
1: Right. And so I'm going to round all the numbers when we're talking here because they report all of these things to two or three decimal places yes. which to me seems <laughs> questionable for uh, sub 50 participants.
0: Uh yes, exactly. Um, Significant so digits. To,
1: yeah, so I'll round things and say that uh 80% of the kiss initiators were male, about 20% were female. Okay. And mm-hmm. So of those, the KISS initiators, about 73-ish percent right turned. Okay. And so that leaves only you know, a little over 25% to left turn, mm-hmm. which to me, I was expecting that to be roughly the same number as right hand versus left hand. So I was expecting a 90-10 split. So that right. clearly says that this isn't strictly controlled by that.
0: Yeah, right, exactly. I would have thought that as well
1: um there's also they had the initiators and the recipients report both which direction their head and the head of the other person went independently uh-huh. so uh-huh. each person reported what each of them did and um they didn't match always.
0: yeah <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny too obviously yeah. you, get, you get wrapped up in stuff and you don't pay attention i guess
1: <laughs> like by a few percent different <laughs> they didn't always match
0: Oh, this is really weird. And all I kept thinking throughout this whole paper was, man, what creepers these scientists must have felt like.
1: Yeah, well, especially in a culture like this where they point out you don't you don't have these kind of public displays of affection. Right. And then somebody says, "Please come into our lab and kiss."
0: Yes exactly like you could probably do this in any park and just do it observationally you know do this survey observationally um but they did actually um take away this whole kiss initiator versus recipient thing and there it, some studies have used kissing a neutrally aligned doll in a lab to see which way you turn your head
1: interesting
0: mm-hmm. yeah that's what well
1: I too. and so there was also a uh they ask, was your lip kissing in such a situation convenient or inconvenient? Yeah. And that situation was that you turned your heads <laughs> in the opposite directions, which means that you would have bumped noses.
0: Uh-huh, yeah.
1: And surprisingly, a smidge over <laughs> 20% reported it as convenient.
0: I don't understand that at all. <laughs> I don't either. That was a very odd. Um, and number one, it's an odd thing to ask. Right. Like, I don't really get why you would think to ask that but um
1: well and i'm also curious about if in the disparity of reporting from initiators and receivers and on this like if you say you turned your heads in opposite directions to me that immediately gives the mental image of what would happen if you both turned your heads right yes because it looks opposite to you
0: exactly and when i first started reading and i was like wow that is a whole lot of people that are kissing with their heads on the same side and then i was thought no no that's not that's not how this is working
1: right opposite <laughs> means that your heads are oriented along the same line in space
0: yes so
1: i'm wondering how much of it was
0: people misunderstanding the that the question. yes exactly yeah yeah, because yeah. yeah it was a good two paragraphs before i thought man i'm doing this wrong i guess
1: <laughs> yeah and uh as a side note, I don't know what so every, the charts in here are all bar charts,
0: <laughs> and they're beautiful.
1: And we've talked about before how you don't want to use like if you if your data can be cleanly projected in two dimensions, don't add a third dimension for fun. Oh, no,
0: these are these are. I I feel that the third dimension on these histogram <laughs> things it just makes it pop out at you.
1: So they're <laughs> they sort of look like buttons on a web page. Uh-huh. Like they have yeah. that fake shaded appearance, so mm-hmm. that they look three D. Um, yeah yeah i i found it really distracting
0: (laughs) oh i knew you would (laughs) yeah that's great it it makes no sense at all
1: uh anyway so in the end it turns out that handedness does have some play Mm -hmm. though it's not the sole controlling factor of whether you go right or left Mm -hmm. and one of the main controlling factors they thought uh for who initiates and hence would then likely influence the direction the other person goes is highly dependent on testosterone levels hence generally the men
0: uh yeah that that took a direction this this took a direction i wasn't ready for because they do some in-depth sort of um you know medical things here at the end trying to compare it not just to handedness but just like you said to Kind of, um, you know, who has more testosterone and how that affects your aggressiveness and initiation and all that. So that was interesting.
1: Exactly. And so, like I said, there's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of comparing everything against everything to make sure that we don't miss anything in here. Mm
0: -hmm. All
1: of the nitty gritty numbers are in there if you would like to do this. Uh, But they do say that they would like to see future replication studies with a larger number of samples to give higher confidence intervals.
0: Yes yes i do i must say that while i was trying to take in all that data i definitely noticed that my head was cocked to the to the right
1: (laughs) (laughs) so there you go if uh next time that you go out on a date (laughs) you can think about this paper and remember that statistically slightly over 75 percent of the time the answer is to go right
0: and then you probably wind up clinking teeth or something equally bad and then you got to explain that you were thinking about this paper in nature <laughs> yeah this could go badly i'm just saying yeah so <laughs> thanks
1: daryl for this paper it was uh, another one that i probably would not have found no on no my own.
0: very interesting
1: yes <laughs> well if you have a fun paper that you would like to send us or have done your own study on the directionality bias in your own head turning we would like to hear from you shannon how can they get a hold of us
0: uh you can always email us show at do come hang out in the slack chat room Swung. rocks on the don't panic channel uh we're on twitter at don't panic geo john is at geo underscore lehman and i am at shannon Doolin.